This is a presentation of Redemption Bible Church. For more information, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org. Well, so when significant events happen in the world, it's, it's human nature to respond in some way, isn't it? Like, it's almost instinctual. For example, when Russia invaded Ukraine just a few weeks ago, uh, we as a church family responded. Uh, we responded by holding a prayer vigil that first Friday night. And we responded by partnering with uh, two churches in neighboring Romania where we have connections. There are churches that are caring for refugees that are fleeing and bringing supplies into those who are still there. That's just, it's human nature to respond. It is instinctual. And this morning, we celebrate the most significant event in all of human history. Amen? Amen. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. The day that Jesus rose from the grave, the day that he defeated death, the day that he conquered sin, the day that Jesus won. We're flying the W flag all day today, Cubs fans. I don't know what you Sox fans do, but that's okay. (laughs) But this is also a day that forces us to respond. And so the question before each and every one of you here this morning is not if you will respond to the resurrection, but how. How will you respond to the resurrection. That's the question we're going to look at this morning in our Easter sermon entitled Responding to the Resurrection. As we look at the story of the resurrection in, the, in John's gospel in chapter 20. And so if you haven't already, let's take out our Bibles, uh, flipping them to John chapter 20, almost at the end of the gospel there, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then the gospel of John. And in John chapter 20, we're going to see how four different people responded to the resurrection. The apostle John, Mary Magdalene, and the apostles Peter and Thomas, and we're going to see through their responses four responses to the resurrection for us as well. So four responses to the resurrection. Number one is this. Respond to the resurrection by believing in what Jesus has done. Right? Believing what it is that he did this very day that we celebrate. And so the story, it begins on Sunday morning, the first day of the week, while it was still dark out. Mary Magdalene, she came to the tomb, a tomb that would have been carved into the side of a hill. In a, it was in a nearby garden just outside the city of Jerusalem, a, a tomb that Joseph of Arimathea gave for Jesus' body to be placed. And it was a tomb where just 36 hours they had placed the body of Jesus after taking him off the cross. And Mary, she was coming to anoint the body for burial, the body of her friend. Only when she arrived, this, this massive stone that would have been rolled in front to seal the tomb, it, it, had, been, it had been rolled away. And, and the tomb inside, the, the tomb, it was, it was open and, and it was empty. And, and overcome with all kinds of emotion, with, with fear, with worry, with anger, with anxiety, she, she took off and she ran. And she ran back to where everyone else was that morning, and she, she told Peter and John, she says, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't, we don't know where they've laid him. She assumed grave robbers had come in and stolen the body. And so Peter and John, they, they took off. They took off in a panic, running through the streets of Jerusalem, the, the sun just barely rising to the east over the temple, running towards the tomb in the garden. And then like, John doesn't give us a lot of details, but when he does, they're either really important or at least really fun. And in verse 4, right, I love that little one, the apostle that Jesus loved, so humble, but here's the humble brag, he outran Peter, 
right? He reached the tomb first. Kind of not so humble there, Johnny. But he gets to the tomb and he, and he bends down and, and, he, and he looks in the tomb. And he, he saw the linen cloths that had been wrapped around Jesus' body. And they were lying there. But John noticed he, he didn't go into the tomb, did he? No, he, he didn't go in. He said he, he just crouched at the entrance, peering into the tomb and, and pondering what it is that he was seeing. And while, while John's having this moment, Peter does what Peter does, and Peter just like barges in on the scene. He, he rushes back in. I don't know that he did this. The text doesn't say it, but can't you imagine Peter just being like, get out of the way! Peter's like the bull in a china shop. What else would you have expected? So Peter comes in, and it's dark. He's like, as his eyes begin to adjust to the darkness, and he can start to see. He, he saw the linen cloths lying there but they weren't the way they left them. It says in the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, it was not lying with the linen cloths, but it was folded up in a place by itself. The body was gone. There was, there was nothing there other than the linens. Like, where did it go? What, what happened? Who, who did this? And not just who did this, but like, who, who robs a grave and then picks up after themselves, right? Robbers come into your home, it's going to end up looking like a little three-year-old tornado tore through that place. But not only, but like, not only that, they're like, they were folded. And again, I'm thinking like, who makes your bed if you know you're just going to get into it that night? Why do robbers fold the claws when they take it? But then John steps into the tomb with Peter. And it says he saw and this word doesn't just mean that he saw with his eyes, but that he saw with understanding. And, and I'm picturing John standing there in the tomb, replaying everything that he has experienced over these past three years, right? The, the miracles of Jesus, the, the healings, the, the teachings, but not just everything over the last three years, everything over the last three days uh, of Jesus washing his feet uh, of the Last Supper that they shared in the upper room, of, of Jesus praying, and of his betrayal in the Garden of Gethsemane later that night, of his trial and of his beating, this coronation ceremony of a king at Pilate's palace, and then the nails driven into his hands, his last breath and the spear piercing his side, as he was nailed to the cross on the hill outside of Jerusalem, known as Golgotha. But John didn't just see, did he? No, he believed. Not based on what he saw, but based on what he didn't see. Right? Jesus' body was gone. It says, until then, they didn't understand the Scripture. Three years not with a really good pastor, but with Jesus. Not for 90 minutes on a Sunday morning, every moment of every day. And they didn't understand, not in full. They didn't understand that Jesus must rise from the dead. Not that he might do it, but that he must do it. 
And in that moment that he saw, in that moment, he believed, he believed the Old Testament scriptures that pointed to this moment. For example, in Hosea, where he said, after two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. In that moment, he understood what Jesus said when he said, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. Now, realizing that when Jesus said he was referring to himself, he was referring to himself. He saw that Jesus was not dead. He believed that he had been resurrected from the dead, that he was alive just as he said. And and so I want to ask you this morning, when you come to the tomb and you crouch down and and you look in, what is it that you see? And what is it that you don't see? What is it you believe? And how will you respond? Do you believe the story of the resurrection? Do you believe that Jesus is not gone, that he is not dead, that he is alive? I got a little, you know, a little secret. I do. I believe it. I believe what I read in Scripture, that it's not just a myth or a fairy tale, but, but a story that actually happened. I, I believe what we recite in the Apostles' Creed, that we, that we read through for baptisms, that, that Jesus Christ, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, that he was born of the Virgin Mary. I believe that in the fullness of his humanity, that he physically suffered pain under Pontius Pilate, that he was crucified, that he died, and that he was buried. I believe that like every other who has died, with the exception of Elijah, for those of you that might want to catch me on that one, every other who had died, he he descended into the place of the dead. Elijah took up on a chariot up into heaven, so he didn't have to do that whole thing. I believe that he descended in the place of death, but unlike any other, he rose again on the third day, didn't he? Defeating death, because not even death could hold God down. And all of this was validating what the Old Testament scriptures had foretold of the coming Messiah, of the Christ, of the one sent by God to save. It validated the scriptures and it authenticated his claim as the Christ and the foretelling of his own resurrection. I don't just believe that the resurrection may have happened. I believe it actually happened, a historical event in human history, the most significant in all of human history. I believe that it is the foundation of my faith that without it, Paul says, we are to be most pitied. I believe that it is the hope for eternity. And you may be here this morning and be like, yeah, yeah, no. I don't believe came because someone drug me here. That's okay. That's okay. Because what we're going to see throughout the rest of the story is like not everyone there that day believed. Not yet and not in full. That's okay. That's why I'm so, so glad you're here. Because I want you to hear what it is that Jesus has done and my prayer is that you would believe. Four ways we respond to the resurrection Number one, we respond by believing in what Jesus has done. And here's number two. Number two is this. Respond to the resurrection by knowing Jesus more intimately. It's a word. I I think we all want that, don't we? We want to know. We want to know Jesus more intimately. Not just knowing about him, but to know him. And so let's look at the story of Mary Magdalene that morning and her response. She returned to the tomb with Peter and John. And then after they headed back home, Mary stayed. And she, she stood outside the tomb, 
alone, crying. And as she stepped in, she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And as she's standing there, my tears running down her face, mourning the death of her friend, the loss of his body, thinking he was stolen, she, she turns, and she sees another man standing. And this man asks her, woman, why are you weeping? Well, who, who are you seeking? And assuming that he was the gardener who had come that morning, right? After all, the tomb was in a garden. And, and assuming that he may, have, he may have seen who stole the body, she says, sir, if, if you've carried him away, if you were in any way associated with this, if you were an accomplice of this, please just, just tell me where you've laid him. Tell me where you've taken him, and I'll take him away. I'll take him back, right? No questions asked. I'm not pressing charges. We'll pretend like it never happened. And then this supposed gardener says just one word to her, Mary. And in that moment, she recognized his voice. She realized that the man standing before her was, was no gardener, but that this was Jesus. And she cried out, Rabboni, which means my teacher. And in that moment, now not only John believed, but now also Mary believed. But think for a moment that of all that Mary had seen with her own eyes that day, she saw the empty tomb. She saw the neatly folded linen. She saw two angels. She even saw Jesus standing before her, speaking to her, and she still did not believe. Not until Jesus the good shepherd who knows his own and calls his own by name, called her by name. Mary. Not until then did she believe. Not until Jesus called her did she believe. And look at how Mary responds. She she ran to Jesus. She, she wrapped her arms around Jesus, embracing Jesus. But Jesus, what he says to her is he says, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Now, I get what you're probably thinking here. If you've known me for more than about five seconds, you're probably thinking, Mary's like Pastor Ash. She's a hugger. There's really a sixth love language. It's hugging. That's how I say hello. It's like sometimes I hug you before I say hello. And I, like my boys, my poor boys, they just get smothered with hugs. They, uh, today's their birthday. I was wondering how I was going to work that into the sermon. And uh, like they're going to get, they're going to turn 11. They're going to get like 11,000 hugs today. And there's not a lot of day. But Jesus, he's... Jesus is the other side of that coin. Jesus is the guy, he doesn't, he doesn't like hugs. That's what you're thinking, right? He, he, doesn't even want, he doesn't even want the side hug. Jesus, maybe he's more of like a handshake, a little fist bump. Maybe Jesus is more of a head nod or the, uh, the Iowa one finger wave. Not that one. When you're driving your pickup, that's how you wave in Iowa. When you know the other person. If you don't know the other person, you don't do that, okay? How you doing? 
See you at the feed store. Get some coffee. But like Jesus, Jesus isn't trying to protect his personal space. He's not like, ew, don't touch me. I was dead. Don't, you don't want to touch this. Now think about this. Think about how you feel when you see someone you love that you, you haven't seen for a while. They, they've been away. Like, think, for example, we've got this little beagle named Alice that we adopted just over a year ago. Imagine how Alice responds when I come home at the end of a long day. I come up the stairs. I've just pulled in the driveway. She knows what's happening. And she's at the stairs there waiting at tails going like that. And, like, she, she, she just, she's just so excited to see me, unlike anything else that's ever been. Dogs are amazing, aren't they? Or imagine, you know those videos of soldiers when they come home from a long tour and they've managed to like sneak in and surprise their kids. They're like hiding in a box or something and the kid opens it. And how excited, like the kids are almost like physically shaking. They're so excited to see their, their mom or their dad after they've come home. Imagine when you were a kid, that, that first hug with grandma after they came to visit you after being away, or with this pandemic and how we've been away from family for so long. Remember that, that first hug after missing them for so long? I remember as a kid, my, little, my, little, my older sister, she lived with her mom in Louisiana, and she would come to visit us at Christmas time. And I remember like it was just the biggest, tightest hug I could give my big sister every time she came to see us. And we do it because like, we miss them. And we're, exci- we're so excited to see them, but, but I think there's even more going on here than just that. Think about how hard you hug them then when it's time for them to leave again, when it's time for grandma to go back home, when it's time for you to go back home, when it's time for your big sister to go back home. Or think about how you feel as you sit at the side of the bed of a loved one as they're about to pass away, and you are holding on to their hand. So tight. Stay with me a little longer. Please don't go. That's how I picture Mary right now. She is clinging to Jesus. He is alive with every ounce of her strength saying, please don't go. And Jesus does what Jesus does. And he gently reassures her. Like, it's okay, I'm right here. I had a job to do, and I, and I did it. And even though I need to leave again, I need to ascend to my father. You're not going to be alone. He would later say in, in Matthew's gospel, I'm going to be with you always until the end of the age. I ain't going anywhere, even though I'm going somewhere. Because as the son ascended into heaven, the spirit descended. Right, this helper that he had told his disciples about in that last meal together, would come, he would send him this, this, this God who would guide them into all truth. We are not alone because Jesus remains with us this very day, this very moment through his spirit within us, God in us, the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. But not only that, we are not alone. Will you, will you look around the room? Look at each other. Look at these beautiful faces all dressed up today. Y'all thought I was going to preach in joggers when you saw me at first. I told a few people, it's making up for all the ties I wore on Easter. We're not alone because we have a family. We are part of a family, a family united by our faith in Jesus. That's what we've seen every week of our series in Galatians, isn't it? 
Our faith in Jesus makes us family. And that means our, by our faith in Christ, we are united in a new way to God as Father, as His children, and we are united to each other, not as strangers, but as family. And Jesus here, he is inviting Mary, he is inviting us to use the same intimate, personal, familial language that he used, referring to other followers of Jesus as brothers and sisters, our siblings, referring to God as Father. He says, to my Father and to your Father, to your God and to my God, inviting us into an intimate relationship with God, not just to know more facts and figures about God, but to intimately know God. And to be known by God. A God who set you apart before you were born. Before the foundation of the earth. Who knit you together in your mother's womb. Who has numbered the hairs on your head. He knows the depth of your heart. He knows every thought. He knows even those things you've kept hidden. He knows you better than you know yourself. And just as Jesus, the good shepherd, called Mary by name. He has called each and every one of you here this morning, and he has called you by name. He's called you here to know him. He's called you here to know him the way he knows you. So that like Mary, we can say to the others when we return, I have seen the Lord today. I encountered Jesus today, and I know him just as he knows me. And so respond by each and every day, faithfully following the way of Jesus and knowing him more intimately. And then here's number three. Respond to the resurrection by sharing what you have received from Jesus. I shared what it is you received. And that, later that evening, they gathered together and they were terrified. They were, they were afraid that those same Jewish authorities that plotted to kill Jesus, that they would now be out after them. Like, let's just finish this gang all together. And so they gather together, and they, they lock themselves in a room. And, like, it wasn't like a nice carpeted room that doesn't make a lot of sound. It was really rickety. And so I'm imagining a lot of tiptoeing and a lot of shh. You don't have to do that to the kids in here, by the way. I love the sound of kids as we're preaching, as we're singing. But there, uh-uh. Shh, don't wake the baby. They're going to find us. And then out of nowhere, bam, Jesus appears right there in the middle of the room. And, and he says, peace be with you. And they're like, you're freaking us out right now, Jesus. Okay, they, the door was locked. They triple checked that thing. No one saw the door open. No one heard the door open. No one heard anything. No one saw anything. And there's Jesus. But like, have you ever done that? Have you ever, uh, have you ever thought you were alone somewhere and then out of nowhere, bam, right behind you, there's someone standing behind you? Like, one, don't stand so close. That's just a little creepy. That's a little freaky. Stand a little bit further away. And uh, what I do is like I try and whistle as I know I'm going to be coming up upon someone. And I can't whistle that well, but I love you, so I'm whistling so I don't scare you. But Jesus, like, Jesus is Jesus. He knows they're freaking out. Okay, he knows they're freaking out. And so what does he do? He shows them his hands and he shows them his side. And when he when they saw the wounds of the spikes that were driven through his hands, when they saw 
where the spear had pierced his side. In that moment, it says the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. In that moment, their fear and their sorrow would turn to joy, just as Jesus said it would at the Last Supper, saying, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice. And as you're picturing this story, I want you to think about Peter for a moment. I want you to think about all it is that Peter saw with John that day. He saw the empty tomb. He saw the neatly folded linens. Think about all he saw. Think about all he heard. He he heard Mary's story of seeing Jesus alive, of speaking with Jesus. And yet Peter still didn't believe, not yet. Not because there's more to Peter's story than just that. If we flip back a couple pages, Thursday evening in the garden, the Gethsemane, as Jesus was praying, he asked Peter and James and John to keep watch with him. And they fell asleep. And as Jesus stood trial, right, rejected by his own people, betrayed by one of his own disciples, just as Jesus said would happen, Peter betrayed Jesus, rejecting him not once, not twice, but three times. And so I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine the shame Peter must have felt as he looked into the empty tomb. I want you to imagine the guilt he had to have felt as Mary shared her story. I want you to imagine the embarrassment that he felt as he saw Jesus appear. And I wonder if through it all, Peter wanted to believe but felt that he couldn't. Because of everything that he had done, because of how he had failed Jesus over and over and over again. This is the man to whom Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Peter, he he had to have felt in some way that he didn't deserve the love and the forgiveness from his friend, from this Messiah, from the Christ. And yet what Jesus told Mary was to go to my brothers. Peter rejected Jesus, but Jesus did not reject Peter. No, he called him brother. And that shame and that guilt that Peter felt, that is what Jesus came to take on. That is what Jesus came to take away Peter was forgiven. And this gift of forgiveness, it's not just something we receive, it is something we are called to share. He goes on to say in verse 21 to 23, he says, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Right, Jesus, he came on a mission of peace. He was, he was sent to introduce God's eternal kingdom of peace, and now he was sending his disciples to continue that mission, to declare of this coming kingdom into the world, not alone, and not on their own, but by the power of God, by the power of his spirit. And just as God breathed life into Abraham, forming him from dust, Jesus, he breathed new life into his disciples forgiving them of their sin, sending them into the world and sharing by the power of God's spirit this gift of forgiveness through faith in God's son. But did you notice that they were sent with a warning? There's a little clarification here. And that was that if the gift of forgiveness is withheld from others, it will be withheld from you. And he's referring back to what he had said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6 where he said, if you will not forgive others of their sin, 
Right? If you think that they are unworthy of forgiveness, they do not deserve forgiveness, then neither will your father forgive your sins. He's making it very clear, as he has throughout these last three years, that the gift of forgiveness is extended to everyone. And when he says everyone, he means everyone. And what we see here in Peter's story is that Jesus, he is showing you the very same wounds that he showed Peter. Wounds that reveal that he succumbed to death on Good Friday, that he entered into death on Holy Saturday, and that he is of his decisive victory over death on Easter Sunday. Wounds that reveal his his love for you, uh, of this forgiveness and of this peace that we have with God in Christ. He's showing that there is no shame. The blood of Jesus cannot cleanse, no sin. The death of Jesus cannot forgive. Amen? None. He's showing that no matter what you have done, no matter how far or how long you have strayed, you cannot outrun God's love because God has not rejected you. He's showing you the same wounds he showed Peter, and he's sending you on the same mission that he sent Peter. Empowered by the same spirit who empowered Peter, extending the same forgiveness that was extended to Peter and to you. Jesus here, he's he's calling us to fulfill the Great Commission, right? To help more people know Jesus and grow to be like Jesus by living out the Great Commandment, right? Pointing people to Jesus by loving like Jesus, loving one another, loving our neighbor as ourselves, even loving our enemy and praying for those who persecute you. No one's excluded from the love of Christ that we are called to share. No one. Because no one is excluded from the love of God. Jesus does not just save you, he sends you. Because save people are sent people. Ministry is not just something that Pastor Rob and Tim and the elders and I do. Ministry to some extent, we are all in ministry. We are all sent into our homes, into our neighborhoods where we work, where we go to school, to our coffee shops and restaurants and stores, everywhere. We're sent to the ends of the earth, responding to the resurrection by sharing what it is that we have received from Jesus with our friends, with our families, with our little kids, with everyone. Everyone. And then number four, respond to the resurrection by believing in who Jesus is. All right, let's believe who it is that Jesus is. Now, Thomas, one of the apostles, he wasn't with the disciples that evening that Jesus appeared. Um... He wasn't there to see the wounds. Uh, for all we know, like, it was his night to get takeout that night. Uh, they didn't have DoorDash back then, and so they couldn't just have it delivered. Somebody had to go. He drew the short straw. It was his turn on the calendar. I don't know, but he wasn't there. But the disciples, it says in verse 25, so the other disciples, they told him. They told him when he got back with dinner. He says, do you know what happened when you were gone? I told you you should have gone sooner because you'd have been back sooner. He says, we've seen the Lord. But Thomas, he said to him, Nah, unless I see his hands and I see the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, nah, I ain't believing. It's a great story. Thanks, guys. Why I can't a camera? Some things are hard to believe, aren't they? They're hard to believe. You think, like, if only I could touch it, if only I could see it, if only I could prove it with some sort of evidence, like, like, like then I might believe. But Thomas, he, 
He hadn't seen what John and Mary and Peter had seen, and he didn't believe what they believed. But then eight days later, they gathered again. The doors were locked again. They quadruple checked this time. They learned their lesson, okay? Out of nowhere, Jesus appeared again. A lot of sneaking in this one, in there. Angels popping up, Jesus popping up in the tomb, Jesus popping up in the room, Jesus popping up in the room again. Only this time, there was something different. Thomas was there this time. Somebody else was getting takeout that night. And Jesus, again, he says to Thomas, peace be with you. And he tells him, he says, put your, put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And in that moment, as Thomas saw Jesus, as he heard his voice, as he touched his body, he believed. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. None of us were there to see the empty tomb. None of us were there in that room. And I think many of us are a lot more like Thomas than we care to admit. We come into this place with doubts and questions, regardless of how long you've been following Jesus. We come into this room with fears and frustrations. But I want you to know Jesus knows your doubts like he knew Thomas's. And he's saying to you, peace be with you. I'm not here to scare you. I'm here to save you. He, he knows your fears. He knows them better than you know them. He understands them. And, and Jesus, he's not calling you to believe based on what you have seen, based on what can be proven. Because the truth is, all the evidence in the world won't make you believe. Even if you had been there, even if you had seen it and touched it and heard it in first person, because that's not how faith works, is it? No, Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen yet believe. He's calling us to walk by faith, not by sight, to believe based on what God has spoken through his word and through his spirit, knowing that we have, we have seen the risen, living, eternal word of God through the written word of God. We see Christ alive on these pages, and we have encountered the presence of the Son through the presence of his spirit. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt who Jesus is that he is the Christ, that he is the Son of God. We know that he is alive. And how do we know? Because it says it right here. And John says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written. He has selected these seven I am sayings that he chose, these seven signs that he chose. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, but not just believing in what Jesus, who Jesus is, but why it is that he came, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And like, like John and Mary and Peter and Thomas, each and every one of us here this morning has encountered the risen Christ. I know that to be true. And if the story, here's why this morning matters. If the story ends with death, 
if the story ended on Friday night, if the story ended on, on Saturday afternoon with Jesus' body lying dead in the tomb, then our story ends there as well. And I don't know about you, but that's not good news, is it? And while Friday ended at the cross and it ended in death and darkness, God's story of redemption ends in life and it ends in light. Amen? But I want to clarify something too here as we talk about resurrection, as we talk about restoration, as we talk about renewal, and that's that uh, our story doesn't end in heaven. Hear me out for a second. Heaven's not our home. We are not called home to heaven when we die. No, we, we rest. Because the story, do you know where it ends? It ends right back here where it started. It ends with a, a renewed creation, a new heaven and a new earth. The story that began in a garden ends in a new city, the new city of Jerusalem. I was reminded of this yesterday yet again as I was reading my Lent devotional on Holy Saturday and the author wrote, it says, Christian hope is not in getting from earth to heaven. Our hope is not in some sort of escape hatch to get out of here. No, our hope is in getting heaven to earth. It is in Christ bringing the kingdom of heaven and ushering it into our world. And that can only happen because of the resurrection. Because he is alive. Because there is work left to go work left to be done. The story's not over. And so the question before you this morning is not if you will respond, but how you will respond to the story of the resurrection, to the good news of the gospel. Will you believe what it is that you have heard, that the, the tomb was empty, that Jesus is alive, that he is today, seated at the right hand of the Father? resurrected from the dead just as he said, just as the prophets wrote? And will you believe not just in, in what you've heard, but in what this means, that death has been defeated, that it has lost its sting, that it has been swallowed up in Christ's victory? Like, do you believe that we fly the W flag today? Yes or no? Yes. Proudly. Not arrogantly. We're not going to run up and down the aisle of an airplane in front of everybody rubbing our flag in their face. But we are going to fly it with pride. And we're going to tell others why we fly it and why we believe so deeply in this. Because here's what's going to happen. A day is going to come when we're going to take our last breath, isn't it? Unless Jesus comes first, I get it. We've got to get the theological asterisks in the story here. A day is going to come and we're going to take our last breath. And for those who believe, death is no longer the end. Death no longer has the final word. Because by faith in Jesus Christ, we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Knowing that if we have been united with him in a death like his, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and faithfully following him every day for the rest of our lives, then we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Right? By his death, we have been forgiven, and by his resurrection, we have been given life, eternal life, that begins the moment you believe, that continues with every step as you faithfully follow the way of Jesus in this life, and continues after death, after this life, for all of eternity. 
But only by believing in Jesus are you given this gift of life, this gift of forgiveness, this peace, this joy, this spirit. And only by faithfully following the way of Jesus are you able to live out this life in the fullness that God intended. Life spent worshiping Jesus for all of eternity with every breath that fills our lungs, with every work of our hands, every step of our feet, declaring holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Amen? Who was, who is right now, this very moment, alive and who is to come, who is to return again. His second advent to which we cry out, come Lord Jesus, we're ready right now. And when he comes, he will resurrect our dead bodies and we will awake from that sleep. He will usher in a renewed, a new heaven and a new earth and he will restore all of creation to the way it was in the very good beginning. That's how the story ends, not with death and darkness on Friday, but with the light and the life as we live in the presence of a lamb so bright that there will be no need for a sun because he's that bright. Guys, this morning's pretty awesome, isn't it? And it ain't over yet. It ain't over yet because we're going to sing. We're going to take communion. It ain't over yet because Jesus has still got a, he's got one more entrance to make. And I could probably just keep standing up here telling you more and more about how awesome this is, but I think it's time to pray. And I want to do, I want to give you some time to reflect this morning. I don't want to just tell you to, I don't want to just ask you to respond and then send you on your merry way. Let's take some time now to respond. So I'm going to open us in prayer as the band comes up. I'm going to give us time in silence as they play to, to pray, and then I'm going to close, and we're going to take communion together. So you bow your heads with me. Thanks for listening. For more audio content and information about redemption, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org.